you so much. Well, that is so true, isn't it? We are a blessed people, and I sure thank God for the good blessings that he's put upon my life. Amen. How many of you brought your Bible with you this, uh, this evening? Would you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me, and just if you'll just turn to this book, all right? 1 John, way over toward the end of the Bible, 1 John, and we'll just open our Bibles to chapter 1, if you will, and I'll probably read a couple of verses here in a little bit. And I want to just uh, share something with you tonight from the Word of God. And I hope it'll be, uh, God can use it to be a help and a blessing to us. First John chapter 1, and we'll start with there, page 1321, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to encourage you, if you will, to be back on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for our service. Tomorrow night we'll be having soul winning at 7. And uh, so, uh, is that right? So we tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And uh, so we'll do that tomorrow night and then, of course, have service on Wednesday night at uh, 7 o'clock as well. I hope you'll be here for all that. Be much in prayer uh, for the services, okay? All right, got your Bible now to 1 John chapter 1. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's have prayer together and we'll get started. Father, please, please accept our thanksgiving tonight for all of your blessings that you place upon our lives, how good you are. Lord, if I could just say what the psalmist said in Psalms 73 and verse 1, when he said, truly God is good to Israel. Now, I can't say that because I'm not of the nation of Israel, but I can say on the second part, even to such as are of an upright heart. And Lord, because of your work on Calvary, my heart has been made right. And I can say that you, truly, God's been good to me. Thank you for that. Now, bless your word. There are people here tonight that, that uh, need the word of God, and I pray that you'll help us. May our hearts be open. I know the devil's going to try to fight us, get us all distracted, and, and to get our minds on what's going on tomorrow or uh, what happened today or last week. Or, and I just pray for just a little bit that we'll make a concerted effort in our mind to focus solely on the Word of God. And I pray you might help us tonight. Speak to hearts. And I pray this will be the service when lives are changed for time and for eternity. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think most everybody in here will agree with me when I say that one of the consequences, one of the results of being saved is you have joy in your heart. You know, once you get saved, I think that one of the results of being saved, one of the fruits of being saved, one of the consequences of being saved is you have joy, that you ought to have happiness in your heart. Now, I'm not just making that statement. I'm making that statement based upon the Word of God. So let me just stop right here and show you a verse. Look at this verse right here upon the screen. It is the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, and verse number 20. And if you'll just look at the last phrase of this verse, and it says this, Whoso trusteth in the Lord. Whoso trusteth in the Lord. Now say it with me. Happy is he. You know, one of the results of trusting the Lord is it makes you happy. Look at this verse right here. Jesus said this himself. He said this, the thief, I think he was speaking about the devil, the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and destroy. Now that's what the devil wants to do. That's the threefold purpose of the devil, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that's, boy, let's give him his kudos. He's doing a good job of that in a lot of lives tonight, is he not? But Jesus said, but I am come. I am come that you might have life. But now he didn't stop there, did he? But he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more, say it with me, abundantly. Now I've told you this before, 
but the, knowing Jesus may not add years to your life, but knowing Jesus will certainly add life to your years. He come that we might have, uh, uh, have abundant life, an overflowing life, and a joyful life or a happy life. You know, the one thing about our Savior tonight is the fact that he was a happy, a happy Savior. That's right. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if we could have been around Jesus while he was here on this earth, the one thing that he would have not- we would have noticed about him was that he was not a religious grouch or a religious grump. I mean, truth of the matter is, he didn't walk around with a frown on his face all the time in a depressed, sour, cynical disposition. In fact, I think it was just the opposite. I think Jesus was a joy to be around. I really do. Look at this verse right here. Here's an Old Testament promise or prophecy. We call them messianic prophecy about the Lord Jesus. And if you look at just the last phrase, well, let me read the whole thing. It said this, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. And by the way, God does love righteousness and God does hate sin, doesn't he? He really does. Now, he doesn't hate sinners, but he hates sin. So he loves righteousness but he hates wickedness. Therefore, God, the Bible said, Thy God, now notice, this was about Jesus, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You know, among many things that verse teaches us, I think the one good thing we take away from that verse is this. Jesus was just glad. He was just a happy Savior. You can't read throughout the four Gospels without without understanding that Jesus must have been a joy to be around. I mean, they were constantly inviting Jesus to things like weddings and feasts and stuff of that nature. I don't think if he'd have been a cosmic killjoy that they'd have wanted him anywhere around, but I think because he was just such a joy to be around, because he had a happy disposition, because he was just, can I say it like this, he was just fun. Can I say it like that and you understand? I think he was just fun to be around, and folks just loved to be around him, so they wanted him around things like weddings. They wanted him when they had feasts. They they wanted Jesus to be there because Jesus was just fun. One of the things we read in the four Gospels, and I made mention of this yesterday, is how little children wanted to be around Jesus. Boy, if that doesn't say something about Jesus, I don't know what does. Because you know something, little children can see through things. Many times that us adults can't see through. And I think one of the reasons they wanted to be around Jesus so much is because he was just fun to be around. He was just a joy. In fact, being around Jesus would kind of be like this. It would be kind of like being around a fresh breath of air in comparison to the stuffy, long-faced, miserable, religious crowd of that day. I mean, even knowing everything that was just waiting right down the road in front of him. I mean, being around people that he constantly had to be on guard what he said. You know, that kind of gets to you once in a while. I'm a preacher, and I know you kind of got to think through. Sometimes I don't think through. Boy, do I get in trouble when I just say what I'm thinking. You get in real trouble. When you say what you think, you've got to process it a little bit. One of my favorite things to do is when somebody comes up and asks me something, instead of just being downright truthful about it, I'll say, can you just let me pray about that for a little bit like I'm going to? And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to think a nice way of how to say what I want to say. You know something? Jesus was just a... I mean, he was constantly surrounded with people who hated him. 
He was constantly around people who were trying to catch him and trap him. And yet in spite of all that, Jesus had joy. Jesus was just happy. I'm talking about struggling through all the problems that he encountered constantly being pressed upon by people and people who had needs. And I mean, man, just all of that going on in his life, and he was still a happy Savior. Jesus had joy. Can I really blow your mind? Do you know that when Jesus was even getting ready to go to the cross, he looked at that cross as a joy? You say, preacher, where? Do you find that at? I'm glad you asked. Look at this verse right here. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for thee that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And then the Bible said that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, Jesus even while going to the cross, had joy in his life. He was happy. I think one of the things that made him happy is because he knew that what he was about to do on that cross was going to make people just like you and me saved and a part of his family. So what he did, he looked down through the scope of time and he saw the day when an old drunk by the name of Buddy Hooser would get saved. And boy, it brought him joy while he was hanging out on the cross. He looked down the scope of time and he saw, he saw people like me and you that would, that would get born again and come into his family. And even while he was going to the cross, beaten to a pulp beyond recognition, Jesus said, I just want to tell you, I got joy in my heart. I am happy about all of this. Now, here's the amazing thing. You know the same kind of joy and happiness that Jesus had Jesus now looks at me and you as his followers and he says this, I want you to have that same kind of joy. I want you to have that same kind of happiness. Let me show you this verse right here. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter number 15 and verse number five, uh, verse 11, Jesus says this, These things have I written unto you that my joy, the same kind of joy that I had, might remain in you. And that your joy might be half full. That's maybe, maybe that's what them funky Bibles says. But the King James says that your joy may be what? Jesus looks at us and says, okay, now the same way that I was happy and the same joy that I had, I want you to have. You're my followers. You're saved. You're part of my family. I just want you to have joy. Let me say one more thing and then I'm going to get to where we're going and that's this. You can't, you can't be around God. You can't be around Jesus. And you can't hang around the Holy Spirit and not be happy. You can't do it. There's a verse back in Psalms chapter 16 and verse number 11 that says this, Thou will show me the path of life. Notice now, in thy presence. In thy presence. In other words, around, around God and around Jesus and around the Holy Spirit, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures. In other words, if we hang around God and we hang around Jesus and we hang around the Holy Spirit, we can't help but be happy. We can't help but have joy. Now, if you agree with everything that I've just said, do you mind saying amen for just a minute? I agree with that. I believe God wants us to be happy. 
I believe God wants us to have joy. But I want to, I want to preach on this question tonight. And this question is this. If I'm saved, then why am I so unhappy? If I'm saved, if I'm a child of God, why am I so unhappy? We've already talked about the result of being saved is joy and, and happiness. We've already said that the same kind of joy that Jesus had while he was here on this earth. So I said, I tell you what, I can't have joy facing the stuff that i got to face in my life on this earth. Well, Jesus did. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you because we all pull in our wagons tonight. Are we not? We all got a load to carry. We all got stuff that we're facing in this walk of life. And yet Jesus said, hey, I faced the same stuff you faced plus a whole lot more. And I had joy. And I just want you to have the same kind of happiness and joy that, that I had. Well, if that be true, and it is, why are there so many unhappy Christians? I just wonder tonight if, if I had an unhappy meter and I just, you know, like they do when you go to the airports and you got to walk through that thing and if you forget to put your keys in the little carry-on, the little thing there, and you walk through that thing, go, and they carry you off and beat you with a stick and, uh, and uh, spray you down with mace. I wonder tonight if we had a joy meter, uh, a happy meter, set up here at these doors as we walked in, I wonder how many times it would have went, uh, 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 because there's so much unhappiness in the lives of God's people. You ever notice, and here's my message tonight, if I'm saying, why am I so unhappy? You ever notice when your car starts making a noise or it starts missing, skipping, whatever, it starts having problems, you ever notice, first of all, when you carry it to a mechanic, it don't never do that while the mechanic's around. You ever notice that? <laughs> you say, man, this car's, man, it's skipping bad. The mechanic gets running, it, dri it drives like it ain't drove in 45 years, man. It don't miss a lick, got plenty of power. But you ever notice when you carry a car to a mechanic and, and the light's not on? Now, if the check engine light's on, Brother Darrell's got this machine down there. He can just hook it up to it, and it'll tell him what's wrong in the car. But sometimes the check engine light don't come on, and it's still making all kind of noises and squeaks, or else it's doing something that it shouldn't be doing. And you carry it to a mechanic. He says, hey, if you'll leave it with me a few days, what I'll do is I'll try to troubleshoot it. In other words, I'll just start checking this and checking this and checking this, and maybe we can find out the problem by the process of elimination. That's troubleshooting. Well, I just want to preach over these next several Sunday nights. I want to try to do some troubleshooting. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and your check engine light's not on, but you're one of the most unhappy people that there's ever been on the, on the top side of God's earth. There's a lot of unhappy people sitting here. You know why I know? Because I see your face. There's a lot of unhappy Christians in this world. And what I just want to try to do over these next two or three Sunday nights is I want to try to, let's do some troubleshooting. Let me just suggest some things. Let me just call your attention to some things tonight that maybe is going on in your life that may be the possible cause of so much unhappiness in your life. So here's where we're going to start at tonight. Maybe tonight one of the reasons that you're so unhappy is this. You are unsure of your salvation. 
you are unsure of your salvation. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 1 and look at verse number 4. And these things write we unto you. So John said, I'm just going to write a whole book. And the whole purpose of my book is this, that your joy may be full. And really the whole book of 1 John is about this, giving people the assurance of their salvation. You know, one of the things that I, I've come to understand is when it comes to the subject of salvation, there are four types of people in the world. All right? See if you don't agree with this. When it comes to the subject of salvation, there are four types of people. Well, number one, there are people who are just lost. You know anybody that's lost? How many of y'all know somebody that's just lost? Now, when I say lost, what I'm talking about, there are people that's in this world, they're just not saved tonight. They don't have a desire to be saved. Their, their, their life is about a party. It's moving from one party to the next party, from one relationship to the next relationship. I mean, they have no, they have no desire for God or the Bible or church. Our world is full of people tonight that are just lost. They're unsaved. I get that. There's people that are lost. Number two, there are people who are saved and are sure of their salvation. Now, I, try, I think that probably makes up the majority of people sitting in this room tonight. I really do. In fact, I venture to say that probably 98% of the people sitting in this room tonight are saved and you're sure that you're saved. But then there's a third group of people when it comes to salvation, and that's this. There's people who think they're saved, but in reality they're lost. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? I mean, Jesus himself said that in the final analysis, when everything is said and done, there are going to be many who say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have we not done that? And Jesus is going to look at that crowd and say, Hey, you depart from me. I never knew you. Not that I knew you, but I don't know you no more. But I never knew. There's a lot of people who think they're saved when in reality they're as lost as a ball in high weeds. Can I have an amen? But then number four, there are people who are saved, but they lack the assurance of it. Now I want to stop right here, and I want you to listen to this next statement, then I'm going to explainify it, and then we're going to have our message and we're going to go. There is a bit, when it comes to the subject of salvation, there is a big difference between security, and surety. Big difference. You say, preacher, explainify that. I'm going to. You see, when you get saved, when I got saved, when you got saved, we became secure in the, in the family of God. What does the Bible say that God gives unto us? What kind of life? Huh? I hate to use them Greek words. Huh? He gives us what kind of life? Eternal life, doesn't he? I mean, think about it. Here's a great verse. 1 John, uh, let me back up. Titus 1, verse 2. God cannot lie. That's what that verse says. Then it says over in 1 John 2, 25, and this is my promise, that he hath promised to us even eternal life. Now, if God can't lie, what kind of life does he give people? Eternal life. In other words, tonight, listen, and once you got saved, you're secure. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. I think you can get lost and get, get saved and get lost again. You believe that if you want to. That's fine, but we get to heaven. I'm going to run to you and say, I tried to tell you while we were down there. Yeah. 
I mean, God gives us eternal life. I know what you're thinking right now. Well, I know somebody that got saved and they lived for the Lord for five years and they're back out in the world smoking weed and drinking beer. What do you say about that? I say, man, they didn't have eternal life. They had five-year life. That's what I say about that. You say, well, I know somebody got saved, lived for the Lord for 10 years, and they turned their back on God. You say, preacher, what about it? I say, they got 10-year life, not eternal life. Because when God saves somebody, he gives them the gift of eternal life. It is a gift. Amen. Well, I tell you, I'm a little bit, I thought we'd be getting more amens right here. Am I, am I need to preach on eternal life more around here? God gives us eternal life. We are secure. But there's a big difference between being secure and being sure. There's a lot of people in this world that are secure, but they're not at all sure about their salvation. Doubt is something that hounds the heels of a lot of God's people. And I'm going to tell you something. Until you get it settled that you're saved, you're never going to be happy on the inside. You're never going to have the joy that God intended for you to have until you get it nailed down for sure. I am saved and on my way to heaven. So I want to help you tonight. I want to talk about doubt. If I'm saved, why am I so unhappy? Well, maybe you're unsure of salvation. Number one, let's talk about this. I want to talk, number one, about the consequences the consequences from doubt. Now, let me tell you something. When a person is constantly filled with doubt, it is very damaging. It's very detrimental to their spiritual well-being. There are only two things that are more detrimental to your spiritual well-being than doubt, and I'm going to be talking about them in the next two or three weeks around here. But when I think about doubt as far as the consequences of it, I, I think it affects, it affects people in two areas. Number one, it's got to affect you in your happiness. We know the Bible said that God wants us to have joy. We know that the Bible said that God wants us to be, uh, have, be happy. We know that the Bible said Jesus came to give us life, not just life, but abundant life, that overflowing life. It's kind of like a cup, and you pour it full of whatever. Uh, I don't drink coffee, so you pour it full of Pepsi. And you pour it full, and it gets to the top, and then when it gets to the top, it just starts running over down the sides and fills the saucer up. B.R. Lake and used to say, when the cup gets full, Mr. Saucer's going to get some of it. And I'm telling you, when Jesus came into the world, he came into this world to give us the kind of life that's running over the rim and filling up the saucer. That's the kind of life Jesus wants us to have. But I'm going to be honest with you. As long as you've got doubt in your heart, you'll never be filled to the, br to the brim uh, with, uh, uh, with, with happiness. There's three things that every Christian needs to be a success spiritually. Number one, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, if you're going to be a success, you've got to have love. You can't hate and be a successful Christian. And number three, you've got to have joy. But can I tell you what doubt is? Doubt is the joy what water is to fire. Just like water will put fire out, doubt will put your joy out. Joy and doubt cannot live in your heart together. Buddy, when joy moves in, doubt moves out, and when doubt moves in, joy moves out. They're bitter enemies. They can't live together because they hate each other so much. I'm telling you tonight that doubt will affect your happiness. And then number two, doubt will affect your usefulness. D.L. Moody once said, I've never known a Christian who was any good in the work of the Lord who did not have the assurance of his salvation. 
Hey, can I tell you tonight, tell, uh, how in the world can you and I tell others about the Lord when we ain't even sure we know Him ourselves? How can we really be effective in the service of God when we don't even sure that we're saved our own selves? Doubt is filling our minds. Doubt will distress us. Doubt will distract us. And doubt, ladies and gentlemen, will defeat us. We've got to get rid of doubt. The consequences, the consequences from doubt. Let me talk secondly, hang on. Let me talk number two about the causes of doubt. Why do people doubt their salvation? I don't know if you've ever read this book before. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a great book. And if you've ever read that book before, you'll know that a man by the name of Christian, along with somebody by the name of Hopeful, got locked up in Doubting Castle. Do you remember the story if you've read the book? Christian got locked up in Doubting Castle. You know where a lot of God's people are living tonight? in Doubting Castle. They really are. They're doubting their salvation. Why do people doubt their salvation? Why do people struggle, seemingly, many people, their whole entire life from, uh, with their salvation? Could I mention two things? Could I say, number one, sometimes I think emotions cause us to doubt. You know, we are emotional beings, are we not? I mean, the fact of the matter is we all have feelings. And by the way, God made us that way. God is an emotional God. God has emotions. God loves. God hates. God grieves. God has joy. God has emotions. And when God created us, God created us as emotional beings. I think, however, sometimes, though, we place too much emphasis on our emotions, on our feelings. For instance, the truth of the matter is some people, when you get saved, man, is it not a great feeling when you get saved. Oh, brother, I mean, man, when you get saved and the burden and guilt of your sin is removed from you, you got to feel better. I mean, it is a great feeling. I mean, it's almost like the load has been lifted off of you and the joy floods your being and peace fills your heart. It is a great feeling to be saved. But can I tell you something about feelings? They have a tendency to kind of come and go. There are times when we feel good. There are times that we don't feel good. There are times that we feel saved. And there are times when we don't feel saved. And if you're not careful on them days when you don't feel saved, it's when the devil will jump right here on your shoulder and say, well, you ain't saved. I mean, if you were saved, you wouldn't be feeling like this. And our emotions sometimes causes us to doubt. One of the greatest days of my life outside of the day that I got saved was April the 5th, 1985. You may not know what that date is. That's the day I got married. Man, can I tell you, that was a great day in my life. For the first time, I had a real live wife. It was a good day. I had my own family. I mean, we didn't have children yet. But, uh, you know, when a man marries a woman, that is family. Sometimes when people get married in here, we'll go over to the... Jim there, and they'll have a reception over there. Somebody walk up and slap that old boy on the back and say, Hey, when are you going to start your family? I just want to say, Hey, wait a minute, dummy. They just started it in there in the church. Man and wife, that is a family. Ugh. So I got married, got a family. Woo, that was a good day. I felt good. I was in love. 
Hey, I was heading on my honeymoon. I mean, we were going off. I hadn't been away from home much my whole life. For me, I was from Mount Airy. For me, it's a big trip to come to Winston-Salem. Really. One of the highlights of our week is when Daddy put us all in the car, bring us to Zares, buy a bag of red-skinned peanuts, and we'd walk around like we owned the place. That was a big deal, man, to come to Winston-Salem. Here I am, man, just barely getting started. I got married, got my own wife. We was going on our honeymoon. Boy, I tell you, it was good, man. It was real good. It was great. I was experiencing life. I had, my, I had a wife. I had a family. We went and bought groceries. I mean, we never bought groceries. It was, it was a great feeling. But I got to tell you something. I've been married now 35 years. And just to be honest with you, I really hadn't felt so good about it every day. <laughs> and if you say you have every day, you're lying. You need to get on the altar and get right with God. I got to tell you something about the woman I'm married to. She might be little, but she's feisty. She's complexed. I got to confess, I'm still studying her. I'm still in school about her. And I got to tell you this, sometimes she's meaner than a junkyard dog. <laughs> and there's times she gets after me. And let's be honest with you, I just got to tell you, man, on those days, I don't feel too married. <laughs> but just because I don't feel married, don't mean that I ain't married. And on those days, just because you don't feel too saved, don't mean that you ain't saved. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Help me with the worst. <laughs> My note is to trust the Word of God. None else is worth believing. Man, we believe the Bible. We trust the Bible. And we don't rely on our emotions because I just got to tell you, there are some days you're not going to feel safe. Our emotions, but then sometimes, listen to this, our experiences causes us to doubt. You know, getting saved is a, is a great experience and a salvation experience is a wonderful thing. I mean, it's something you're going to remember for the rest. I could just ask certain of you tonight, hey, tell me the day you got saved. Boom, you'd stand up and say, I got saved such and such date, 1907 or whatever. How's at the church? Man, you can go in, you can tell us all about that because that is an experience you will remember for the rest of your life. Then we stand up and we share our experiences. And the truth of the matter is, you know, sometimes our experiences don't match up the same. For instance, here's an old boy who gets saved, and he says, man, I'll tell you, when I got saved, I was on the backside of the corn patch plowing. And when I got saved, I was so happy, I took off running out of the tractor, tramped down five acres of corn. It was a great day. And the devil jumps on your back and says, hey, you didn't trample down five acres of corn when you got saved. In fact, just to be honest with you, I don't remember you trampling anything at all when you got saved. You ain't saved. Or somebody else says this, man, it was a great day when I got saved. Man, when I got saved, I'm telling you, it just, I mean, man, it was just, it just felt like the weight of the mountains just rolled off of me. And the devil said, come here. You didn't feel like that when you got saved. So therefore, you're not saved. Maybe somebody said, man, when I got saved, I couldn't help it. Y'all got to forgive me. I shouted all over the place when I got saved. I cried, I wept, the tears flowed. And you sit there and think, you know, when the day I got saved, I, 
I didn't shout. And the tears didn't flow. And the devil says, Psst, come here. You ain't saved. What happened to them didn't happen to you. You ain't saved. And sometimes if we're not careful, somebody else's experience will cause us to doubt our own experience. Am I right? I mean, when you read the Bible, listen to this. There are two people that got saved. There's more, hundreds of them. But there are two people that got saved that had two totally different experiences. The great, probably the greatest experience of salvation anybody's ever had would have to be old Saul of Tarsus. I mean, you talk about an experience. I mean, he's on his way up to Damascus. I mean, he's, he's riding up through there, got papers in his pocket, and he said, when I got saved, well, let me read it to you. Here's what he said in Acts 22, verse 6, came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Then he said in the next verse, I fell on the ground and heard a voice. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Man, what an experience. <laughs> Paul said, hey, Saul said, I just want to tell you, when I got saved, I saw a light and heard a voice. But now you may be sitting here thinking, you know, man, when I, did, I got saved, I didn't see a light. And I didn't hear a voice. So maybe you didn't have a Saul experience. Maybe you had a Matthew experience. When old Matthew got saved, here's what the Bible said. Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs, and he saith unto him, Follow me. <laughs> no light, no voice, and he just got up and followed him. Now, I got a question for you. Which one of them boys is more saved? The light and the voice, or the guy just said, Jesus said, Come on. <laughs> yes, sir. Which, which one of them boys is more saved? They both are, aren't they? And let me just say this. Maybe you didn't trample down corn. Maybe you didn't shout. Maybe you didn't cry. Maybe, maybe you didn't feel goosebumps. And then maybe you did all that. But I'm just here to tell you tonight, if you trusted Jesus, guess what? You're saved. Hey, don't let your experience cause you to doubt yourself. I'll be honest with you. I didn't see a light tonight I got saved. I didn't hear it, but if it had, it scared me to death. Jesus just said, hey, come on, get saved. I said, yes, sir. And I just rose up and followed him. And by the way, if 99% of us would be honest tonight, we'd have to say we didn't have a Saul experience. We had a Matthew experience. But that don't mean we're any less saved than Saul was. The causes, our emotions, up and down. Our experiences, yours is different from mine, mine's different than yours. But the truth of the matter is, if you got Jesus, guess what? Put her there, buddy. Welcome to the family. You're saved. And then number three, and I'm done. It's 6.33. I want to talk about this, the cure for doubt. How do you cure doubt? How do you just once and for all get it settled that you're saved? Well, there's two things you've got to trust. Number one, you've got to trust God's work. God's work. Can I ask yourself, what are you trusting you to get to heaven? What are you trusting to get to heaven? You say, well, I tell you what, preacher, I have got, our church used to do this. I don't even know if we still do this anymore. We used to hand out Sunday school pens. And I can remember, and I think it was Bill Foster who had one that would reach to the floor and wrap around his neck. Because he never, and I mean, you know, you used to give away them Sunday school pens. And I mean, just and many of our people, they didn't miss Sunday school. And they had these long Sunday school. I remember that vividly when I came here. And they were so proud of that. And can I tell you something? You can have all the Sunday school pens in the world. 
But if you ain't got Jesus, you're not saved. What are you trusting? Sunday school pens? Church membership? Baptism? Good works? Let me tell you what you need to do. Go get God's dictionary out. Look up the word salvation, and I promise you right out beside of it, here's what it's going to say. See Jesus. Hey, when he died on Calvary and shed his blood, that's all God required, and all God requires for me and you is to put our faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made, accept the payment that he made, and guess what? We're saved and on our way to heaven. You can't lift a finger nor a foot to help God save you. The work has been done, it's finished, it's complete, and all you've got to do is believe it and trust it. Amen. God's work. And then number two, God's Word. Turn over to 1 John 5, and I'm done. But look at this verse right here. It says this in verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may hope that you have eternal life. Is that what your Bible said? It doesn't say that, does it? It says that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know you're saved? I'll tell you why. I trusted Jesus. I've got the Word of God on it. God said you can know. I trusted Jesus. God said those who trust Jesus have eternal life. Guess what? Boom, I got it. And if you're saved, you trusted Jesus, man, you've got it. You can't do any more than trust Jesus. Can I have an amen? You and I can't do any more than trust Jesus. Now, go with me and I'm done. The day that Jesus was crucified, we know there were two thieves, one on his right hand and one on his left hand. I don't know which one of the, the thief that got saved. I don't know. I always say he was on the right side because I got a message on how to get on the right side of Jesus. But uh, I, I personally think the guy on the right side, the thief on the right side, got saved. I say a lot that when Jesus died, he didn't die in the cathedral between two candles. He died on the cross between two thieves. Aren't you glad Jesus identifies with thieves? Amen. And, and, when, and, and right before that old thing, and by the way, when they both got there, they both were making fun of Jesus and reviling Jesus and saying bad things about Jesus. But somewhere on that, in that six-hour period, the one on the right hand saw that, man, there's something different about this man. And so he looks over at Jesus and he says this, Jesus, Lord, <laughs> you get a man knowing that Jesus is Lord, he's a good candidate for salvation. Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked back at him and he said this, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now watch this and we're done. We know right after that Jesus died because when those, those soldiers came to kill the prisoners, you know, they don't let them hang there for so long. And when they came to kill Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. And they took that spear and thrust it into his side. But the other two thieves were still alive because the Bible said they had to get their legs broke. Because as long as you could push up, you could, you could inhale, drop back down, and live longer. So they had to break your legs so you could no longer push up and breathe in air. So we know that thief that Jesus said today, thou shalt be in. We know he lived longer because he had to break his legs. So watch this. Right before he dies, let's just suppose we got a microphone. And right before that old thief dies, we run up to him, Sir, sir, just before you die, I mean, man, the buzzer's getting ready to sound. His life is over. Sir, just before you die, can we ask you a question? Yes, sir. <gasps> yes. Sir, do you know where you're going after you die? 
I'm going to paradise. Sir, you're a thief for crying out loud. How do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Because he said so. You know how I know I'm going to heaven? Because he said so. I'm not trusting me. Man, I can't get good enough to get to heaven. Y'all pray for me. I'm a work in progress anyway. I can't get to heaven good enough, uh, get, get good enough to go to heaven, and neither can you. You know how I know I'm going? He said so. I've trusted him. I can't do no more. That's it, man. I'm going. What about you? Maybe one of the reasons you're not happy is because, man, you got a big old question mark in your mind. I don't even know if I'm saved or not. I'm done, but listen to this. I heard about this man. You heard me tell this before. <laughs> but I heard about this old man, and he, he was driving down the road one day, and he, thought, he started looking for a shortcut, so he turned down one road, then down another road. You know how us men are. We don't want to stop and ask for direction. We know where we're going. And finally, he was hopelessly lost. He wound up on a dirt road way out in the country, and he said to himself, man, the next person I find, I'm going to stop and ask direction. So he, he's driving down this dirt road. I mean, dust going everywhere. And, and he saw a little boy standing over in the yard playing with a ball, throwing up and down. And so he said, man, he pulled over. He rolled his window down. He said, hey, little boy. He said, come over here. He went over there and he said, son, he said, uh, can you tell me how to get back to Highway 75? And the little boy said, no, sir. He said, son, can you tell me how to get back to the nearest road that will lead me to the nearest town? No, sir. He said, son, can you tell me how to find somebody who can tell me how to get to the nearest town? No, sir. He said, little boy, what in the world do you know? That little boy said, sirs, I knows I ain't lost. <laughs> do you know you ain't lost? You're never going to have joy or happiness. Do you get it settled that you're saved? Let's bow our heads.